the sensory is what drives the timing of the patterns of how we move. Mm -hmm. And everything is about timing. So it's much less of, are your glutes strong? Are your abs strong? But it's more at what time or at what rate and for how long did your glutes contract, right? So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of characteristics under a muscle contraction. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is driven by this timing trigger. Sensory is the timing trigger of movement. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring our relationship to movement and how it impacts every other aspect of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek, movement guide and co-founder of Evolna, an intuitive movement lifestyle company, helping people create a more fulfilling relationship to their body and self. Through my work in the fields of dance and fitness, I've always been deeply connected to movement and fascinated by how it shapes us. Join me as I dive into conversations with esteemed professionals from a variety of fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their personal movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope this podcast inspires and empowers you to create a more authentic relationship with your body as you experience the tremendous ripple effect movement can have on all other facets of your life. New episodes will be released on Friday mornings every other week. In the meantime, enjoy. Hello, everyone. For today's episode, we're going to take a trip down south of our bodies and dive deeply into the world of our feet. We had the privilege of speaking with Dr. Emily Splihal, functional podiatrist and human movement specialist. Dr. Emily is the founder of EBFA Global, the creator of the Barefoot Training Specialist Certification, author of Barefoot Strong, and the CEO slash founder of Naboso Technology. We discussed the many ways our feet impact our health, how their unique structural and sensory makeup enhances our physical functionality, trains our brains, and even helps create emotional balance and stability. In addition, Dr. Emily shared some incredible stories of how our feet can transform our health, as well as practical insights on how to begin harnessing the power of our feet today. We're beyond thrilled to have this female powerhouse on the show with us. So without further ado, let's tune in. Dr. Emily, it's such a pleasure to have you on here with us today. Welcome to this thing called movement. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure and an honor. I've been following your work for years. And as somebody who is foot obsessed myself, this is just such a joy to be able to dig into all things related to feet. And I'd like to kick things off today with learning a little bit more about your personal movement journey, um, how it began and how it led you to become a podiatrist and all the work that you're cultivating today. Absolutely. So I I am a podiatrist. I consider myself more of a functional podiatrist, which means that I try not to push my patients into orthotics and supportive shoes, but favor much more of a 
natural foot function. I'm very much fascinated in sensory science or neuroscience. So really the the sensory side of movement and how complex our nervous system is and how really, really it's connected to our feet or the skin in the bottom of the feet. Um, and then in addition to podiatry, I have my master's in human movement and that really connected um, how I look at movement and the podiatry because podiatry can be a little bit isolated or segregated from the rest of the body, unfortunately. Um, I have a background in fitness. I've been in the fitness industry for over 20 years, and I've done everything from one-on-one personal training to teaching classes. Now I'm more of a fitness educator, so I speak and kind of train the trainer in a sense. And then that journey really was because my background is I was a competitive gymnast. So I've always moved, I've always moved in a body weight way. And I've always moved barefoot. Ironically, (laughs) I don't think I thought back when I was a gymnast, being a barefoot athlete, that that would come back, you know, 30 years later. But yeah. Yeah, it's interesting um, because as a dancer, I sort of went through the same thing, although I had the world of point shoes, <laughs> just like the complete opposite of bare feet. But, you know, going from spending hours a day being physical in my body to and barefoot, right, just being able to be directly in contact with the floor and then like moving out into the real world, even fitness, where then suddenly I had to have sneakers on all the time. I felt really sort of muffled and dulled in my awareness to my body and like my ability to to really gain information there. And so I'd really like to dive into some of these questions for the listeners today. Um, what is it about our feet that makes them so important to our health and well-being? Well, yeah. So our feet, I like to think of the feet in two ways. The first way is mechanical. So that's where a lot of people may say, I have high arches, I have flat feet. They're thinking of it kind of from a structural, I reference buildings where you could think of like the framework or the foundation of a building. If that's not stable, the rest of the building can't be stable. That would be looking at the feet from a mechanical perspective. That is obviously very important. If you have flat feet, your your knees are going to knock in, your pelvis rolls forward, everything rotates inward. If there's any trainers listening and there's lower cross syndrome, which is kind of the knock knee flat feet arched back position, that is one way that can make the rest of the chain weaker per se, or not handle stress. And the stress that we often want to think about is gravity. Gravity is the biggest stress that our body is experiencing day after day. And having a strong mechanical foundation is important to that. Now, very similar to that, what ties into the other way that I love to speak about feet is the sensory side. And this is what I have referenced earlier that I love the sensory side of movement is really looking at the nervous system and how the nervous system affects our fascia and our muscles. So everything is based around this baseline tone in our body, right? So as we stand, your muscles have a have this low-grade contraction or your fascia has low-grade tension. And that's really what is resisting gravity. So this pressure coming down, our ability to stand up on two feet is really because there's gravity. So we're pushing into it through the tone of the muscle or the tension of the fascia. Now, what triggers that is sensory. And the sensory really comes from the feet 
because the only contact point between the body and the ground is the feet or really the skin in the bottom of the foot. So it's constantly reading the environment to help you know how much to create tone or how quickly to create tension. So it's all this beautiful, almost like an orchestra, people will reference it. That It really is. It's a complex, fascinating orchestra. Something that I always used to tell clients sort of after, after having dabbled in your work and through my own experience rehabbing injuries in my feet starting at 16 and onward, is that, you know, the feet are really in many ways like the control center of the body. Like we think of it as the brain, but when you think about that functionality, just like you lined out, like the bottom up, the foundation, and the fact that all of that is being regulated through the soles of the feet and the feet are actually determining what needs to happen to the rest of the system. For me, it's just so fascinating that this part of our anatomy that usually gets cast aside is actually probably one of the most powerful and vital components to our health and well-being, not just at like a baseline functionality level for our physiology, but our health and well-being mentally and emotionally as well. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting also about the sensory side is that you can anchor or ground emotionally by connecting to your feet. And that's really where the Neboso products that I've developed, which is a line of textured proprioceptive sensory products. We have mats and flooring and insoles and things like that. One of the greatest applications with those is that people will use them as an anchor, an emotional anchor to their autonomic nervous system or um, like anxiety. So think of someone who's starting to get anxious and then they can say, feel your feet, feel the ground. And then that can direct and kind of calm the nervous system. Um, So that is a way that you can you know, really access the feet in another way as well. It's not just movement, although movement affects emotion. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all connected. I would actually, the geek in me wants to know more about like the specific scientific sort of systems that create that stabilization with our emotional state through the feet, like we were talking about the grounding um, and like why in the products you developed, like what specific changes did you make in in those structures to be able to help facilitate that? And how does that actually function within our bodies? Yeah. So what I want to first establish is that an understanding of how the skin in the bottom of the feet is different from other skin in our body. And all of our skin has nerves. There's many, many nerves in our skin because it's it's really this uh, external communication or it's that layer between the external environment and then our internal environment or the internal processing, which will be the nervous system or the brain. Now, the skin in the palm of the hand and the bottom of the feet is called glabrous skin. It's special skin that has touch nerves. And these touch nerves are sensitive to specific stimulation. Whereas uh, the arm, the leg, the back, that's called hairy skin, even though it might not have hair, it's still considered hairy skin. And it has different nerves. It's it's not touch receptors that are on that that skin. Now, the bottom of the feet, palm of the hand, these touch nerves, they're sensitive to four main things, texture, skin stretch, pressure, and vibration. So if I'm holding something, a great example to appreciate it is if I'm holding a coffee or right now I have a 
water in my hand or an aloe juice. <laughs> um, I'm holding it for me to hold this and then be speaking to you and maybe be doing one other thing. That's very complex from a nervous system perspective. Now I'm still talking to you and I haven't dropped this yet. I was able to maintain this perfect amount of pressure and stimuli between my fingers and the bottle to know how to keep the tone of the muscle and the fascia so that you don't drop the bottle. That's a very complex subconscious process that is based off of these touch receptors. So it's really pressure and skin stretch that was being stimulated when I hold this. Um, now we use that with every movement that we do. If we want to talk about feet again, that every time we walk and we strike the ground, we experience vibrations that's what ground reaction forces are. So that's one of the stimuli coming in that controls the rest of our body. Uh, just standing on two feet is obviously going to be pressure and some skin stretch because of the sway. We all have a sway. And then texture, which is what the Noboso products stimulate, that specific nerve is similar to Braille. So when your hand is reading Braille, that same nerve is what we stimulate at Naboso, which means there's a pattern to that texture. It's not just any texture. It's really two-point discrimination. So the development of the Naboso products and how I use barefoot science, you could call it, with my patients is built off of understanding this specificity. It's not it can't just be random pressure and vibration. Vibration has a frequency. Texture is two-point discrimination and has a distance between each of the dots. Pressure is a certain degree of depth. So you could see how there's really specificity in all of the stimuli, which makes it much more complex than one would initially think. Um, so that's almost like a language. <laughs> it is. It is. And the results that we see with Naboso and just in general, when I get patients barefoot or connecting to these mechanoceptors or these touch nerves is, you know, people with stroke recovering much faster. We have people with spinal cord injuries who can feel their feet because of the Naboso texture. We have people with Parkinson's who are running again, like crazy things. And it's because of the specificity of what we're doing. I actually had no idea that you could change such a significant neuromuscular patterning, like something like Parkinson's just through the feet alone. You know, like I think especially in even in the world of fitness and even in like those niche areas of fitness where it is more recovery and regeneration focused, like the feet still are are barely brought into the equation. I think, you know, like there's been some new information coming out about the big toe being the big sling, but I love what you're doing and how it really goes into this whole subset world that lives within our feet and how our feet are so responsible for being able to communicate information throughout our bodies that that can help actually reset how our bodies function, even something like Parkinson's. I had no idea you guys are eliciting those kind of effects. Yeah, I mean, it's we even have some neurologists who will be like, how is this? Like, where they're really surprised by the results. But honestly, it makes sense when you think of... I'll try to explain this in a simple way, but <laughs> <laughs> from 
uh, periphery, which is the hands and the feet, right? So periphery is far away and then central, you know, coming into our center. The peripheral input, depending on the type of the nerve, has a different pathway up to the brain. So some of these, some of these movement disorders where like Parkinson's and MS and certain things, the injury or the location within the brain is a little bit different than the pathway of how that information is coming up. So it, it could be a way that um, you could almost say like hack the nervous system, that you're hacking the nervous system by understanding this other side route. Like it's kind of taking like a detour to the central nervous system and then allowing you to still create this picture of your body. And the ultimate place that this information needs to go is it's the front of your brain called the neocortex. And then there's a part that's called the somatosensory cortex. And all of those patterns are established really, really early on in our life. So if you have a lot of patterns in your brain, synapses, if you want to call it, and then you have a stroke, but you have all these great patterns in the memory bank and you can stimulate them through sensory of peripheral, you can access them then. This is what we're seeing is that this is a conduit to access those kind of sensory driven patterns. Walking is one of them. Walking is one that is, it's a reflex pattern that if you can trigger that reflex or the memory of the pattern, then you're able to see quite impressive changes in the way people move. Yeah, I remember reading about neuroplasticity through a few books where they talked about like even dealing with vestibular diseases or like dysfunction and how by finding a new neural pathway, people are actually able to come back to full functionality. And I think it's such a beautiful opportunity and way for people un to understand that their bodies aren't set on a certain path or on a certain trajectory, especially when some of these more degenerative experiences hit. And, and so much of our conditioning is that like once things start to fail in the body, it all goes downhill from there. Whether you're talking to people dealing with, you know, symptoms of aging or, or they have some of these specific issues that they're negotiating. But the truth of the matter is like our body is so plastic and it is so adaptive and it's so smart and intelligent. All it needs is an access point to get there. And movement, I found, is such a powerful way to do it. And it, it's one that's typically underutilized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, what I would add on to that, which what you said is perfect, is that our nervous system or our body wants to survive. So it will find a way. And that's where you could see videos of people um, who are born without arms or legs and things like that and how they're able to adapt and still get around or figure out how to do so many things that we would just be like, how did they do that? That really is based on the nervous system is inherently designed to survive that, you know, we, we need to survive for everything of our body to continue forward, right? For this longevity or continuation of humanity or whatever um, to progress is we, it, it's really built around survival, right? So um, that's where, as an example of this plasticity is when someone has uh, like a blockage in an artery in the leg, as an example, so let's say they have poor blood flow to the foot. 
if you force the body by moving, which is why I'm so glad that you said that you move, right? And then you start to get the like, the pain that you're not getting circulation, right? It's called it. It's an ischemic pain of having poor circulation. The therapy for that is actually to keep going and to push through it. Because what happens when you kind of push from a movement perspective is the body will create collateral circulation and it will actually develop all these new blood vessels around the clot or the, the blockage. And then boop, you get circulation to your foot again, because the body wants to survive. And that same collateral circulation or collateral nerves is really what neuroplasticity is. I go this way, I'm going to go around it. And it's, it's fascinating. It's always going to find the path of least resistance to like optimize things. And, and the truth is the body's actually always doing that. Most of the time we're not aware of it. And there's so many ways we can actually move towards embracing that both literally and figuratively so that we can not only, you know, sort of tap into that survival mechanism, but then also lean into thriving. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been so exciting. I'm already like salivating over the rest of the questions. <laughs> I mean, this this next one's a big one, and I, I'm sure there's so many different directions you can take this. But now that we're starting to gain a deeper sense of just how important our feet really are, and we're hitting that tip of that iceberg, what are some things we can do to take better care of our feet in order to improve and optimize our health? Yeah. So I look at this in three ways. So you want to have sufficient foot strength, sufficient foot recovery, and then sufficient uh, sensory stimulation. So the strength would be something that is intentionally strengthening the muscles of the feet, the intrinsic muscles of the feet. And you can think of the muscles in the feet like our core, like our deep core. And some people will actually make analogies of them that they'll call the intrinsics, the deep core of the foot. Now, these muscles are the stabilizers. And when we move dynamically, those muscles should be contracting first before, let's say, our calves. Now, in people who chronically wear supportive shoes and orthotics, the intrinsics of the foot become weaker, slower, atrophy, denervate, things like that. And then that means that the calves contract too early, too often, and then that can create different tendinitis and pain responses and compensations and, and all of this. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. Shins, yeah. Achilles tendinitis, all that fun stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so making sure that you're building in foot strengthening programming, mm. that could be short foot exercise. It could be balance exercises. It could be barefoot training. It could be doing dance, Pilates, yoga. Any of those are going to start to address the foot. Now, second thing was foot recovery. This is where I believe that people should be releasing their feet. You can either roll your foot or stand on a golf ball, a cross ball, whatever it is, every day, five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. So you're doing something to give a little bit of a TLC or a reset to the muscles of the feet. And that is really important because depending on what your job is and where you live, you could be spending eight hours on your feet in a day, standing, walking around standing. Or uh, when I lived in New York City, I would take 20,000 steps a day easily every day, right? So that's a lot of stress that our feet are taking that 
it's underappreciated, which is why we're doing this podcast together. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Finally, the third one is the sensory, because the sensory is what drives the timing of the patterns of how we move. And everything is about timing. Everything, everything, everything is about timing. So it's much less of, are your glutes strong? Are your abs strong? But it's more at what point, at, at what time or at what rate and for how long did your glutes contract, right? So there's a lot of characteristics under a muscle contraction. And a lot of that is driven by this timing trigger. Sensory is the timing trigger of movement. So that would be barefoot. So I didn't tell you how, how you could get sensory. It could be walking on your home barefoot. Um, it could be using Noboso insoles in your shoes. It could be doing your exercises on a Noboso mat or on a hardwood mat or on a vibration platform or walk across a, a pebble path. There, there's many ways that you can get sensory into the feet. Sensory, that's like the first one that's really jumping out to me. And the first thought I even had just listening to you is, would it also be helpful to just be putting barefoot contact and like sort of negotiating your weight on different types of services? You know, like the big thing I'm noticing in quarantine is is just how sensitive I am to services, especially when it comes to my movement practice, like the difference between being on carpet versus on like a concrete floor versus a hardwood floor. Like these feel so significant to me. And while I see benefits in each of them, like I I notice I have preference for certain ones. And so I'm curious if for that sensory component, if it's a matter of allowing ourselves contact with different surfaces so that that we get that varied sensory input. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I actually call that sensory variability, which is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) Look at you. Um, So yeah, so it would be getting a variety in the characteristics of surfaces, which could be smooth versus rough, textured versus vibrate, hard versus soft, um, smooth versus irregular. All of those trigger the nervous system and essentially trigger the brain. Uh, So I, I consider barefoot training brain training, even though really any training is brain training, but anything where you are trying to just trigger variability, kind of shape, avoid adaptation, like all of that is really important to brain training. And the feet are a access point to the brain. So I think that's a really smart thing that you could do. Uh, You could also say that that's why someone may want to wear barefoot shoes. And then you still should wear cushioned shoes, kind of if you're trying to vary it, right? So I'm going to wear really hard shoes. I'm going to wear flexible ones and then I'm going to wear cushioned and then I'm going to do some heel drop because it's just a variety to your body and your nervous system. You know, I will actually tell people that if they have this like perfect shoe, let's say it's a transitional, minimal cushion, minimal heel toe drop shoe, wide toe box, all this perfect. You still don't want to wear that same shoe, that same literal shoe every single day. You could wear the same shoe design, but get several pairs of the same shoe because every shoe is manufactured slightly different. There's slight manufacturing, not flaws, but inconsistencies with every single shoe that is made. And every shoe will slightly wear down a little bit different. And that's where 
for people, especially if they have to be on their feet all day or be in their shoes long hours, I try to get them to just alternate the same type of shoe, but every day just alternate which one they're wearing so that you are avoiding excess stress on the body. That's really fascinating. I didn't know that. And I it actually reminds me of something I learned in Institute of Motion, you know, like even if you're doing a movement pattern and you're repeating it, in essence, none of those repetitions are ever going to be the same. And in fact, your body thrives off of that minute differentiation and variability. And this is where, you know, mediums like dance are are actually so underutilized because they help you go into repetition with that slight amount of variability, these slight fluctuations. And I love that even buying the same pair make of sneakers allows you that little bit of variability that actually gives you an additional edge to being able to support your body in a way you probably wouldn't have thought of. Yeah, it, it keeps you tuned in to this variability. And, you know, I, I call it tuning in, um, partly because of the muscle tuning theory, which is kind of a theory of movement. But we tune our muscles to the sensory noise of walking. And every step that we take, I'll tell people that if you take 20,000 steps in a day, none of those 20,000 steps are the same. And that's why we need to be tuned into our feet, paying attention to our feet so that we are able to adjust and correct for that variability or that inconsistency in every step. I want to jump on something that you mentioned earlier in this point of our conversation, the connection between the brain and the feet. And and you did say like all movement is brain training, but I've noticed in a lot of your work, you talk about that intimate connection between the brain and the feet. So I'd love for you to take us through some of the science there and, and create those connections for us. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where I was referencing a little bit, but I'll say it again and I'll add add some more layers to it. So there is sensory information that is coming into the brain that is called afferent information, or you could think of afferent means inward. And then the opposite of that would be efferent. So afferent, efferent, afferent is in, efferent is out, or the effect or the movement. Now, the afferent comes from our peripheral nervous system, these peripheral nerves, hands and feet. And that's where we find these mechanoceptors or touch receptors in the hands and the feet. Now, you stimulate it through a specific stimuli. I already listed those texture, pressure, vibration, skin stretch. Let's say we'll use texture. You stimulate the foot or the hand with texture. It stimulates a specific mechanoceptor, which goes up the spinal cord through an afferent pathway to the part of the brain called the somatosensory cortex, which is in the neocortex. That's the motor area. Now, somatosensory, somatic means movement. Sensory is obviously sensory. So sensory drives movement. The S1, which is the sensory part of it, has to be stimulated before the motor cortex will know what to do, let's say. And then we also have a secondary somatosensory cortex, a secondary one, and then it actually, you'll appreciate this, actually connects to our area where we process interoception. 
which is the emotional side or the internal visceral side of sensory input, right? Internal environment. So once the somatosensory cortex is stimulated, then you get the efferent output that is the motor response. And again, that motor response is not just flex knee or extend hip, but it is the timing and the coordination and the sequencing and the rhythmic nature of that motor output, knowing that this continuously being read and adjusted and corrected for. So every step that you're taking or every hip extension with every step that you're taking is continuously being modified by the sensory information of the feet. Because if you happen to step on something uneven, your glute or hip is going to have to correct the way that you stabilize on one leg because now the terrain is uneven. So there has to be this continuous feedback loop right? Of going down there, how's the surface? Is it soft? Are you on sand? So now I have to work harder and right. So you're kind of moving like that. And the other layer of the sensory input is that it's really built into efficiency and movement efficiency was necessary for the evolution and advancement of man, human, woman, (laughs) all of man, (laughs) right? All types. Meaning that as we began moving and the more that we move, if we are not efficient in our movements, you don't have enough blood flow going to the brain and you don't want the priority of your blood flow going to your muscles because everything is being processed here. So it's really the brain that needs you know, all of the goods or a majority of the goods, and then the muscle and the fascia and the connective tissue, it has to be efficient because there's less energy that goes to those. Does that make sense? Totally. In fact, I actually wanted to jump in on that a little bit. Uh, I remember like the the big aha moment for me was, was when I was learning about the physiology of the body and, and this efficiency principle, how really all our muscles and fascia are designed to work in a specific timing so that they work as little as possible to create propulsion so that so that they're not you know, soaking up all those resources and that the the resources of our energy and our blood and our oxygen can be flowing and going to where they are preferential. And like you mentioned, that's the brain. And I think um, this is a common myth or misconception for the general public when we're thinking about you know, moving our bodies and getting stronger, there is this fixation on like, well, how am I going to get my muscle to like contract and grip and be really strong when actually you don't necessarily want to be training just that. You really want to be training this timing and you want to be training the like stretch and release reflex of those muscles, right? So that that propulsion can happen. And so that the blood flow and everything is going where it is most sincerely needed. Yeah. I mean, I could say so many <laughs> caveats. Tangents. Are, well, tangents are, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So what I would say is definitely we are designed to move like rubber bands is kind of, or like a dancer or a cat or a child. Or like, those are kind of analogies of efficient movers, right? Like a child is very hydrated. Their tissue is super hydrated and elastic, which is why they 
move so effortlessly and gracefully and just never seem to get tired is because of their ability to uh, be kind of in that optimal, efficient patterning, right? That we as adults need to try to maintain as long as possible. Now, I often will tell people that this is really evident when you look at how we walk and we get the energy to take each step that we take from the impact forces of the successive step or the prior step. So when your foot strikes the ground and you get these impact forces, that really is your potential energy and you need to store it within your tissue so that by the time you take the step forward, you are releasing it in a very efficient way. That that impact absorption is really just through tension of the muscles. You're not contracting and relaxing in the way that people think that you are because that takes too much time and too much energy. So yes, your muscles are kind of holding on and going for the ride and dynamic movement is fascial or rubber band based, which is the connective tissue. Uh, And another kind of example that might help people is I can determine this based off of foot type and the foot type that is classically the least efficient would be a flat foot or an overpronated foot because their foundation isn't stable. So everything up the chain, like I had mentioned earlier, just becomes a little bit uh, less active or less stable. Maybe the glutes are weaker or the core is weaker, right? Yes. Yeah, so it just kind of compromises the strength and stability. So now I've had patients with a overpronated flat foot come into my office and say, doc, I am exhausted walking. Like you have to look at my feet. Is it my feet or something where they're like, just to walk across the room, it takes effort, which means that they are using their muscles to move versus their fascia. Sure enough, I'll look at their feet and all of those patients will be overpronated, collapsed in. And then I will do a gait assessment where I can use like force plate technology where I actually measure energy in, energy out. And I can see in the assessment, in the data that they are not bringing in the energy They're not moving through their fascia and they're actually exerting their own energy versus using the energy of the ground. They're using their own energy through muscle contractions that they are moving inefficiently. So it totally makes sense. It's matching what the patient is experiencing, that it's exhausting. And we would take this data and actually go into schools when I was uh, in New York City and do foot screens in children as a way to curb the childhood diabetes, obesity epidemic that is going on. A lot of these children don't realize that they have a foot type that is making it hard for them to move. So they would be a child that's not running around, that they're getting tired. They can't keep up with their peers. They are clumsy. They might trip and fall on themselves. They get embarrassed in physical education. So they want to just kind of sit out of everything. And then they gain weight and get, you know, juvenile diabetes and stuff like that. And it's all that we're talking about with that is what you said is that we're, we're designed to move through our fascia inefficiently, but what if our foot type is actually working against us? And that's part of what I, I do as well. Yeah, it's fascinating how our feet are actually tied to our energy levels too. Like we're talking about this in the foot type 
you know, creating this cascade of like, if your foot type isn't optimal, it's going to fatigue you and it's going to work against you. Even with like some of these basic things like walking and running around that we think everybody has is on the same playing field with, but perhaps they're not. And, and this actually leads me into something else I've seen you talk about, which is, you know, toe to tongue sequencing. And when you've mentioned it, you've talked about it having similar effects to a stimulant like caffeine, for instance. So I would love to hear more about how our toes and, and that sequencing up through the tongue actually helps stimulate our energy levels. Yes, there is even more brain foot brain connections that we can talk about, right? (laughs) So there is, there's a part of our brain. So the brain is broken down into three sections. Let me start there. That we have our brain stem, our limbic system, and then our neocortex. So the brain stem is going to be the oldest part of the brain. That's where you have your cranial nerves. That's where fight or flight survival is based off of. And then the next level of the brain is the limbic system. This is where a lot of people will associate emotion You can also have hypothalamic, so that's really like a stress response, a secondary stress response that is there. Um, Basal ganglia, which has to do with small motor movement and large motor movement. And then you have your neocortex, which is the somatosensory cortex and language and processing and consciousness and all that stuff. So now there's a part of the brainstem called the reticular activating system. And you could think of that as the ignition to the brain. It, It turns it on and it's what you, you notice or how you learn. Another example of the RAS is that when you start to notice things, so let's say if I broke my leg and now I'm on crutches, suddenly I see everyone on crutches or you drive a car and now everyone has the exact same car as you. I don't know if you've ever had that. Yes, (laughs) I've I've noticed that a lot, the pattern recognition, like you see one and then you see it everywhere. Yes, yes. And that is, that's the reticular activating system that is doing that, right? It's kind of controlling what you notice or what you pay attention to. So the RAS also turns the brain on. I think of it like the ignition to the brain. Now your RAS is connected to your eyes and your vestibular system or your ears. And your eyes and your ears, which connect to the RAS, you could think of doing eye movement exercises will turn on the brain. If you do vestibular exercises, of course, that will. But if you rub the area, there's an acupressure point just inside your um, ear. So right uh, right on the inside of the ear is where I'm rubbing. That's an acupressure point that connects to your vestibular system, which connects to the RAS. Uh, Your tongue ligaments connect to the RAS. So when you yawn, part of yawning is, right, like the brain is getting sleepy, you might not be sleepy and be like, I'm not tired, but your brain is. So then that's where people will yawn. Part of that yawn is that you're stimulating the tongue ligaments, which connects to the RAS. So here we go with toe to tongue. So part of toe to tongue started as foot to core. Foot to core is how I would teach people to Activate the foot by driving the toes down into the floor. So when you push the toes down into the floor, if you do that at the same time as lifting your pelvic floor, you are essentially uh, sequencing your foundation, which is the foot, and your center of gravity, which is obviously your core, right? So you're kind of sequencing them, getting them to turn on or be online. 
Okay. And then the next layer of that is I tie in the diaphragm because the diaphragm myofascially blends into the pelvic floor. So in foot to core, I have people push the toes down to activate the foot while exhaling to get the diaphragm engaged. And then the exhale drives the pelvic floor up. So you're essentially taking those three areas. Now, toe to tongue takes it to one step higher, which is that you would push your toes down to activate the foot, lift the pelvic floor, and then bring your tongue to your palate. And you do those three things, you will feel like there's this internal line of stability or like a internal skeleton. Feels like a rod, kind of like pulling. Like a rod. Any of those analogies that you come up with, totally love it. Uh, So that's that's your stability from a movement perspective. Now, if you did that and appreciated the RAS at the same time, you're bringing your tongue to your palate, which stimulates your tongue ligaments. So you getting not just this foot core activation, but you're getting toe to tongue, which is essentially getting barefoot to brain. It's really a way that you could use it. And because the RAS is activating, that would be the stimulant, like the anti-caffeine way to kind of get your brain back on track. Um, It's also preparing you to uh, maybe stand at a standing desk longer or to go for a run or, you know, you could use it in several ways. But yeah, another way that your feet connect to your brain. So in that case pressing down on the feet, is this really just sort of like tapping into the evolutionary mechanics of the system? Because I'm thinking like, well, if if technically this is also just activated the tongue, we could just press through our tongue. But like the system that you've outlined, right, toe to core and then core up to tongue, is activating the toes an essential part of sort of tapping into the evolutionary mechanism where getting that like vibration and pressure through the feet was actually a way to sort of like wake ourselves up and know that there's stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the way that I like to do it as well. Cause you could just sit here and put your tongue to your palate and then be like, Oh, I'm making up my brain. Right. <laughs> um, you could totally do that. But I would say that um, because the nervous system was designed to move, tapping into that movement foundation and that gravity, you know, cause again, the only constant that, that we have every day is this gravity. It's really the ground and the gravity. And gravity is perceived by our feet as the ground. So it's either the pressure, the characteristics, or the weight, or the vibration, or whatever it is through the feet, that it definitely does. And that's where, how you had said, does it tap into this evolutionary side of kind of brain activation, is why I do think that we have seeing these changes post-stroke and Parkinson's and MS and, and even children and, you know, all of that stuff. I remember there was this example that, um, uh, what's that doctor show? Um, Dr. Oz? Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you knew which one of all the doctor shows. Dr. Oz gave this story before where when he was practicing, I don't know if he still practices, but when he was at Columbia working, that he gave this example of there was this patient who was in a coma and every day when he rounded on this patient, he would touch his feet. And then he swears that that was something that really helped this patient kind of stay connected and eventually like re reconnect to this 
this side of the world and things like that because of him touching his feet. And I, I just thought it was so cool of, of Dr. Oz appreciating that and just referencing that. It was, it was really cool. I personally have always noticed such a direct correlation between not just like the athleticism or the or the mobility and flexibility and strength of my body, but like how good and like confident and I, I guess like tapped into my body, I feel so closely with what's going on with my feet in these phases in my life. And anytime my feet have been incapacitated or limited by any way, whether it was like injury or or like circumstance, like there was there was always such a clear tie-in with what was going on with the rest of my body at the same time. And then those phases in my life where I've been able to be more barefoot, I've had some of like the variability in these four factors of the feet, whether it's texture, pressure, stretch, like these things you've talked about. Those have been the times where my body's felt at its best. And so I would love to know, is there a direct correlation between the health of our feet and the health of our bodies? For instance, if our feet are getting like all these sort of panels of uh, nourishment that they thrive on, does that encourage the thriving of everything else? I mean, I would say so, which is why I wrote my book, Barefoot Strong. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew the answer is yes, but yes, like, I, I would know, love to I know. <laughs> Yes, for the, for the listeners, I wrote a book called Barefoot Strong, The Anti-Aging Secrets to Movement Longevity. And it really was making this argument that sensory stimulation and foot strength and, you know, really integrating foot health into your lifestyle is a secret to longevity. Um, and I truly believe that movement is a necessary component to longevity. And part of movement is foot health and the ability to control your movement. So it, it is completely related because what it is feeding or fueling is the ability to move. And you know, especially through Naboso, I've had the opportunity to work with um, aging populations of, of various ages, all the way to, you know, 85, 90 onward. And what you start to see is that when they start to lose this movement, they get this loss of independence and isolation. And what that does to their cognition and their emotional state is massive. So if we're thinking of, okay, you know, one of the most important things that we want to protect is obviously the brain, but it's people think of cognition. You don't want dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, that's really based off of you, you moving and socializing. You have to be interacting. That feeds so much aspect of, of our, our lives and our purpose. And then there's the, uh, emotional quality of life and happiness that depression rates and and stuff like that in the aging population is very high and a lot of that's because they feel isolated and they've lost their independence because they're not moving so i really do think that the the secret to longevity but a high quality longevity is movement and like you mentioned that subsect of like the feet being such an essential part of that, you know, and it, this domino effect and how so often when we're looking at how to alleviate some of these issues we see within our health, our well-being, or our longevity, we're 
looking like only one domino back versus, you know, like the five before it that probably holds a lot more power towards being able to create those shifts. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So exciting. Um, <laughs> exciting for me to talk about. Um, so with all this information we've been discussing today, as a medical and a fitness professional and educator, what are the, some of the changes you would like to see take shape in the health and fitness industries? I think really looking at everything as brain training is is really important. There is a shift towards, you know, appreciating the foot. So I definitely noticed that, that I feel that there's more and more excitement and curiosity and programming with the foot to learn the foot, to understand the foot, but then to take, make sure that you're taking it to the next level as not just a mechanical aspect, but also sensory. So it's mechanical, it's sensory, it feeds movement and all movement is brain training. What we're trying to preserve is the really neurological side of movement. Um, That's that's what I would probably say. And then to explore different surfaces, like what you had said, that variability of experience and not fall into, I have to do this or this. And if I do that, that's bad. Because it's really the variability of of all of those experiences that trains the brain. One example is I, I never have patients do what they call a toe yoga, which is, you know, lifting the toes and then lift, lift just the big toe and then the four toes and the pinky toe and this like toe gymnastics if you want to call it and the reason is because i don't see a direct transfer to gait or walking and i'm very specific on the exercises i recommend because i feel that people are only going to be so compliant so i give them what i know they'll be compliant on now that doesn't mean that that exercise is bad or incorrect or inappropriate because you are making them focus on their feet. So it is this mindfulness practice is training the mind and the muscle and it's connecting to the feet. It could be quasi meditative because it forces them in the moment. All of that has a benefit. So for the listeners is try to keep an open perspective to all exercises versus saying like, I don't do that because X, Y, or Z all movement trains the body in some way and is beneficial in some way. You could even say standing on a physio ball is is oddly beneficial in some way. I call it a circus trick, but (laughs) it trains the brain. It's almost like doing handstands. Are handstands Mm -hmm. functional? No. Are they fun? Absolutely. (laughs) So, so be it. Yeah, I love that you you made that distinction between functional and fun because like truth be told a lot of the things most of us are chasing are not that functional but like it's exciting to do and then vice versa like there's a lot of things that aren't fun that maybe really are functional so to allow yourself that openness to 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 explore and to like see what things call out in you. I mean, it's one of my favorite things to do is like jump into something I've never done and like see the places where there is something that I recognize and then recognize the other areas where like I have a lot to learn and I'm a novice and I'm falling over. (laughs) I know. I I actually really like that, that you call, it could be, we'll do three functional and two fun, right? (laughs) 
to get the client to to have fun, even if you're like, okay, freestyle dance, I don't know, <laughs> right? That, that probably has no effect on their like fitness goals or, or whatnot, but it's it still gets them moving and, and it's exploring. And, um, you know, it really taps into that mindful side of it where my other passion is the interoceptive side of the body. And sensory science is not just exteroceptive, which is all the touch that I was talking about. That's external environment sensory. And then interoceptive is all of your internal sensory. And that is oftentimes much more powerful, quasi more important than the external. I've been getting so obsessed with interoception. Like I finally tuned into a couple months ago and I realized it's the branch of science that talks about everything I've been trying to teach people and develop on my own. Um, but, But through these very specific parameters and explanations that like click. And and so I love hearing you say that that's sort of where a lot of your personal interest is, because for me, it's been the area that, uh, especially from like fitness education perspective, has not been talked about enough. And I, and I totally understand why, because like for efficacy and consistency, like external was the way to go. But I, I noticed this for myself and for almost every single person I worked with, whether it was in a class or whether one-on-one, that the interoception, the ability to to take sensory input within the body and even take like emotional sensory input from within the body and to start to weave a framework of understanding from that to like feel that you understand the signals that you're getting and you can interpret them. This for me was like such a pivotal component to not only being able to listen and attune to the body, but also to be able to make decisions in service of your body and your wealth, health and well-being. Yeah, that's that's my next uh, full direction. I'm writing a book right now called Sensory Sapiens, and it's essentially... <laughs> I'm so excited. ...is makes it a reality then, which <laughs> makes there be a, a, a deadline on this. Um, <laughs> But it is a book that I, I started and Sensory Sapiens and is really bridging the external and the internal. Um, I truly believe in body awareness. So body awareness is how we move. And that body awareness is this interconnection of internal, external. And uh, for the listeners who might not be familiar with interoception, it is reflective based off of how we breathe. So if I feel safe or not safe is externally represented through the way I'm breathing, you know, shallow breathing and, you know, super diaphragmatic or am I belly breathing and I'm in this restorative state. Um, And that's how a trainer can start to differentiate the internal internal perception of the client of their moment in time. You know, I, I work with a lot of people in, uh, fall reduction and seniors, as I had said, because of Noboso. And you can start to see um, the way they respond to, let's say, like a fall reduction program is if I had a terrible fall and I almost broke my hip and kind of all the cascade of events that came from that. And then you're now my trainer and you're teaching me stabilization exercises and balance exercises so I don't fall again. Every time you put me in that unstable environment based off of my emotional association with my history of a fall is going to potentially put me into a 
fight or flight response. And when you're in a fight or flight response, literally all parts of the brain above the brainstem start to shut down. So I'm not going to process things. I probably don't hear you <laughs> the, the right way because things change. I'm kind of on guard. And then I'm breathing in a very inefficient way, which can destabilize the pelvic floor and my center of gravity. So now I'm not stabilized because of that. And you, so you can see how this becomes really um influential on everything that we're doing that was a senior example but imagine a, a athlete a athletes is such an emotional game it's a mental game and you know you were a dancer so you understand like everything is is mental and with gymnastics it was if i psych myself out that's going to be an awful tumbling pass because it's mental um so that ties into how we can look at athletic programming or athlete rehab or really all all of our clients. They they could be coming off of a stressful, you know, meeting with their boss and now it's trickling into their their session. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's, there's a whole second interview in this. So <laughs> I'm going to sort of like wait and we'll put a pin in it for next time. But thank you so much for coming on with us, Dr. Emily. This was such an illuminating and wonderful conversation. And I'm honored to be able to share your wisdom and insights with everyone here today. Thank you so much. It was an honor. And I actually had a lot of fun. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. You can find contact information and all references made during the show in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and spread the love by sharing with family and friends. If you want to learn more or would like additional support in your movement relationship, head to our website at evolna.com. Be gentle, be generous, and be good to yourself. And have a beautiful day.